should help you find Ruth chapter 3. Last week we looked at the first half of the story of Ruth, and I quoted Gary Haugen, the founder of International Justice Mission, who once said, in the face of tragedy, and he deals with tragedy all the time in, in the context of that mission, he said, I've stopped asking, where is God? And I've started asking, where are God's people? We saw last week Boaz and Ruth being God's people, showing up in the face of tragedy to be used by God to further God's purposes. And in the story, Boaz and Ruth demonstrated God's heart and God's character, we saw. Ruth, the, the poor, vulnerable, foreign widow, demonstrated God's hesed, God's loving, committed faithfulness. She took a great risk and she sacrificed everything for the good of Naomi, her mother-in-law. And we saw Boaz, the rich, respected community head, demonstrating both Hesed and God's generous compassion in providing food and protection from, for Ruth. Yet both Ruth and Boaz, we saw, proved to be complex characters. Ruth proved herself to be spunky and pragmatic and perhaps flirtatious. Moabite women had a reputation in Israel for being available in every sense of that word. And Ruth, the Moabite, faced being treated based on that stereotype in Israel as a, a foreigner, even though we're not sure yet whether she really lives up to that stereotype or not. And we were never totally clear on all of Boaz's motives for being generous to Ruth. Was he solely being altruistic out of the goodness of his heart, or did he also have his eye on Ruth? Well, today the story continues, and some of these questions are answered, but not before things get even more ambiguous. As last week, I'm going to tell the story, this time chapters 3 and 4, pausing along the way to make comments, to fill in details and insights. So scene 3. One day Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Naomi has always felt that her daughters-in-law needed husbands to protect and provide for them. Remember, in that culture, men had all the power, and so women were dependent on them. Naomi continues, Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Now, Naomi has picked a great prospective husband for Ruth. But this idea of how to get a marriage proposal out of him is highly dangerous for Ruth. It's harvest time. Historically, harvest times have been big party times. Think Oktoberfest. Food is plentiful, wine is flowing freely, and these parties often took place around a threshing floor, which was a community center where the various farmers would come to bring their crops to be threshed and winnowed. And I don't know if Hosea 9.1 is a typical picture of what, what, uh, what went on at threshing floors, but God says there that his people are like a prostitute who loves to earn her wages at every threshing floor. Often when wine and money are flowing, certain kinds of ladies show up and parties can get more than a little wild. 
And right into this scene, Naomi sends her daughter-in-law by herself, washed, perfumed, and dressed up. Some interpreters suggest that done up like this, in the dim light of evening, any half-inebriated man would mistake Ruth for a prostitute. Maybe that's why Naomi warns her to stay out of sight. If Naomi and Boaz had to be concerned, as we saw last week, for Ruth's safety in the fields during the daytime, think what might happen to her at a threshing floor at night. Would you send your daughter all dolled up into a situation like that? Well, Ruth is to wait in hiding until Boaz has had plenty to eat and drink and has gone to bed. Then she's to go over to him and to uncover his feet. Now, no one is sure if this is some obscure custom lost in time. But we do know that the Hebrew word feet can also be translated legs, and that feet were a euphemism for the private parts. What exactly is Naomi telling Ruth to uncover? The storyteller isn't clear. Whatever Ruth is to uncover, she's then to lie down, and then Naomi says bluntly, he'll tell you what to do. Now this leaves me wondering what kind of woman Naomi thinks Ruth is. Does she think her daughter-in-law is just a stereotypical Moabite woman? And if so, is Naomi right? And if Ruth agrees and is successful, what will happen to her? When the man who may have had too much to drink finds a dolled up young woman lying next to him in the dark. What will he tell her to do there in the dark? Well, I guess it all depends on his character, doesn't it? Well, all the way around, Naomi's taking a huge risk with Ruth, with this plan. And I don't know if it shows Naomi's desperation or her lack of respect and care for her Moabite daughter-in-law or her profound trust in Ruth and especially in Boaz. Anyway, Ruth replies, I'll do whatever you say. Now, is Ruth being obedient and loyal to Naomi here? Is, does she trust her mother-in-law implicitly? Is she desperate too? Or does this sound like a great plan to her? She seems happy enough to marry Boaz. Does, does she love Boaz? Or does she see Boaz as a way for her to better provide for Naomi, to whom her true loyalty is to? Or is her, this plan just right up Ruth's alley as a Moabite woman? Well, we'll keep reading. She went down to the threshing floor and she did everything her, mother, her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, this could mean that he had had too much to drink. At the very least, he's very happy. And he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Now, this is fortuitous because at least they'll have some privacy there. Ruth approached quietly. She uncovered his feet or legs or more, and she lay down. The big question in Ruth chapter 3 is exactly what did go on behind the grain pile that night. And commentators and rabbis have been discussing and debating it literally for millennia. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet or at his side. Remember, the Hebrew's unclear. 
Notice that Boaz and Ruth don't have names here in the dark. They are the man and a woman. Now the Hebrew of this verse is difficult. Literally it says something like that Boaz trembled in the night. It's a strong word. Is he startled? Is he afraid? Is something else going on? What made this man tremble? Then we have another strange verb. The NIV translates it turn, and it can also mean to twist, to, to grab and twist, to be touched or to touch yourself, or, or maybe to reach out. Again, it's not clear what's going on in the dark. For sure, Boaz isn't sure what's going on. But he quickly realizes there's a woman lying near him. I don't know about you, but if I were to wake up in the middle of the night at a big party and, and maybe I'd had too much to drink and there's a strange woman lying next to me in the dark and I realize I'm partly uncovered, I might tremble too and think, what have I done? Did I do something that I'm really going to regret in the morning? Well, what's about to happen? What's happening here? So he says, who are you? This is a very different Boaz than the one we met in chapter 2. By day, Boaz is powerful, he's rich, he's respected, he's, he's in command and in control. He's the guy who holds all the cards. But here at night, he's just a man without a name. He's in the dark about what's going on, literally. The storyteller highlights this by the use of the Hebrew word know. In verse 3, we read literally that Ruth isn't to let Boaz know that she's there. In verse 4, though, she's to make sure that she knows where he's lying down. She knows. He doesn't know. Ruth is in the know, but Boaz doesn't know anything. Ruth, not Boaz, holds all the cards now in this story at this point. She's in control. She's making things happen. It's also worth noting that up to this point in the story, Ruth has been called a na'ara in Hebrew, a young girl, a servant. But now she's called an isha. A woman on equal footing with the man, the Ish. Naomi had told Ruth to do whatever Boaz told her to do after she lay down near him. But the normally confident, in control Boaz doesn't tell her to do anything. All he can do there in the dark is ask questions. So Ruth tells him what to do. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a family guardian. Now again, we have an ambiguous phrase here, spread the corner of your garment over me. What does it mean? Well, the word corner of your garment can also be translated wing. It's the word Boaz used earlier in chapter 2 when he blessed Ruth, wishing that she um, would find refuge under God's wing, under the corner of God's garment. could be translated either way. Well, now Ruth is asking Boaz to personally be God's answer to that blessing. But this word is also used euphemistically in scripture for one's private parts. Is the Moabite giving Boaz an invitation here? Then there's Ezekiel 16.8, where the same phrase shows up, when God poetically describes his love for his people. And he says, when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Well, clearly the issue here involves both sex and marriage. The only question is, in what order are they happening in this story? 
And a lot of translations try to tidy up this passage and make it respectable by having Ruth lie there innocently at Boaz's feet. And maybe that's the case, but it isn't totally clear from the actual Hebrew language. Well, at this point, a couple other stories come to mind which bear some similarities to this one. One is the story in Genesis when Moabite women first got their reputation. The father of the Moabites, you might remember if you're familiar with Genesis, was Lot. And he became their father when his daughters got him drunk at night and went in to lie with him. The other story that comes to mind is the story of Tamar and Judah, where Tamar dresses up as a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law Judah so that he would get her pregnant. And later we'll see that the people of the Jerusalem are going to bless Boaz and Ruth and compare them to Judah and Tamar. Interesting choice. As one commentator concludes, there's no doubt that this scene on the threshing floor is sexually provocative. But it's also ambiguous. The storyteller gives us hints, but, but purposefully keeps us in the dark about what went on in the dark. Why? Well, maybe to highlight the, the feelings and the temptations that Boaz and Ruth were having. Maybe to highlight what could have gone on. But the real question is, what did go on? And that, again, we have to figure out from what we're discovering about the characters of Boaz and Ruth. What we do know for sure is that Ruth is asking Boaz to marry her. And the reason she gives for this is that Boaz is a family guardian. We saw this title last week. It's also called a kinsman redeemer. Now, normally the kinsman redeemer bought a family member's land if the family member had fallen on hard times to keep that land in the family. But Ruth here connects the purchase of land with marriage. There was another Old Testament law not related to the kinsman redeemer laws as far as we know. And that law said that if a man died, his brother was to marry the widow to raise up a male heir for the dead brother so that the dead man's name and estate would not be lost. And so the woman in the family, or the women would not be impoverished and uh, neglected. But why does Ruth com combine this role of the uh, marrying your brother's wife with the kinsman redeemer role. Well, we don't know for sure why she combines these, other than that the spirit of both was the same, to, to encourage family members to take responsibility for helping one another out in difficult times. So how will the trembling, startled, confused, in-the-dark Boaz respond to all this? What kind of man is he, really? Will he take advantage of the young woman in the dark? Will he be offended? After all, he is, or she, is well below his social status. Will he conclude that she's just a shameless gold digger? And will he brand her a Moabite whore in town the next day for approaching him at the threshing floor all dolled up? Or will he accept her offer and take her under his care and protection? This will depend on his heart and on his character and on how he really feels about Ruth. The story continues. Boaz replies, The Lord bless you.
my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz accepts. And he's obviously thrilled. He must have had his eye on Ruth Ruth all along. Notice he's his old self again. He's found his voice again and his magnanimous in-charge attitude. It's ironic after all he's just been through that he patronizingly calls Ruth his daughter and tells her not to be afraid. It's also ironic that he considers Ruth's proposal to him to be a greater kindness than all she's done for her mother-in-law. Is he just flattering Ruth? Or is he really more self-interested and less altruistic than he seems? Well, clearly he considers Ruth to be quite a catch. Evidently, he's an older man, and she could have easily found a younger woman or a younger husband, we we find out. Boaz says that everyone knows that Ruth is a woman of noble character, and, and that's what evidently caught his eye, and it's what should catch the eye of every man who's looking for a wife, incidentally. This word noble character is the same word used to describe the famous Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31 describes the qualities of an excellent wife. It's also the same Hebrew word used of Boaz back in chapter 2 when we learned that he was a man of standing, a, a man of noble, a noble character and nobility. This word suggests strength and nobility and, and valor and moral excellence. It's quite a designation for a poor foreign widow and a Moabite at that. Ruth is faithful. She has demonstrated hesed. She's selfless and and self-sacrificing. She's strong and she's hardworking. She's bold and she's courageous. And her virtues are clear to everyone, so much so that she's developed a good reputation in the town of Bethlehem. That kind of woman is a catch, and Boaz knows it. Well, Boaz continues, Although it's true that I am a family guardian, there's another who's more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your family guardian, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So Boaz tells Ruth to stay for the night and to lie there till morning. And it's more ambiguous language. Perhaps it just isn't practical for him to walk her home at night. Or, uh, of course, the the optics wouldn't be good if anyone saw them together there in the middle of the night walking home. So she lay at his feet or at his side. Again, the, the Hebrew is ambiguous. Until morning. But got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz doesn't want anyone questioning his motives in regard to the business that he'll need to transact in the morning. He also said, bring me your shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and he put it on her and then he went back to town. Ruth goes home loaded with seed. The man lying by the heap of seed has sent her home full with seed, and so she goes back to her empty mother-in-law, ready to fill her up. 
Not only do they have seed to eat now, but seed has a double meaning in the Bible. And as we'll see, Boaz possesses the seed to build up their family through a male heir. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Now, Boaz never said, don't go back to Naomi empty-handed, as far as we know, if you read the story. Maybe he did, and it just wasn't reported, or, or maybe Ruth is fibbing, trying to reassure Naomi that now in Bo that Boaz and Ruth have found each other, Naomi won't be neglected and left out. Again, ambiguity. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. The man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So ends scene three. What began in a field in chapter two reaches its climax at the threshing floor. And now in scene four, we'll see how it all comes to completion. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the family guardian that he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Boaz is in his element. In the light of day, he's his old self again. He's uh, bossing people around. He's enjoying respectability. He's making things happen, going through the official channels that he knows so well. Then he said to the family guardian, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, this is a new development in the story. Naomi is selling land. How does Boaz know? Well, we don't know how he knows that she's selling land, except that Ruth asked Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer, which often involved buying land. But maybe there were other interactions that the story doesn't tell us about between him and Naomi or him and Ruth. But he says, I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, let me know so that I will know because no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Now Naomi has no heir, so if this man buys the land, it will permanently become a part of his estate, which is a pretty good deal for him. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the family guardian said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. The addition of Ruth to this equation changed the financial picture considerably. Not only would this man have to provide for Ruth and perhaps for his, her mother-in-law, but if Ruth bears a son to this man, that son will bear the name of Ruth's dead husband and will eventually inherit back the land that the man would be buying. This would turn out to be a net loss instead of a net gain, in other words. So this man backs out. Then Boaz announced to the elders and to all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. 
so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Boaz is doing an incredible thing here. Just as Ruth's gutsy, self-sacrificing hesed was highlighted by his, her sister-in-law's Orpah's going back to her family at the beginning of the story, so Boaz's generous, risky chesed is highlighted by this other man's backing out of this deal. This move is going to cost Boaz a great deal. He won't ultimately gain anything from the purchase of the land. He'll have to take care of Ruth and Naomi. And if he has a son by Ruth, that son won't really even be his. It's a lose-lose situation. All he gets out of the deal is a great wife, which of course is plenty. <laughs> right? <laughs> the point is that accounting figures differently when you have God's heart. When you're generous to the poor, when you have compassion on the needy, you get paid back in ways that Wall Street knows nothing about. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, two other nighttime brides, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring, literally the seed, the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Again, Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and seduced Judah into impregnating her. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And this is the first and only act that the storyteller directly attributes to God in this story. That that God is, is blessing Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and blessing this whole story here at the end. And she gave birth to a son. This son belongs to Ruth's dead husband, Malan, remember, and so it's Naomi's legal grandson. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a family guardian, this new son. May he become famous throughout Israel. May he renew your life and sustain you in your old age. That's what God expects sons to grow up and do for their mothers and grandmothers. And then the women say, For your daughter-in-law, Naomi, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And here we finally have the plain truth which Naomi's always looked or always overlooked. She was never truly empty. God had given her a daughter-in-law all along who has been better to her than seven sons. A friend, a family member with hesed is a gift beyond measure. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so we end with the genealogy of King David. And so as for Naomi, so for Israel. What began as famine and emptiness during the dark period of the judges 
the Lord brings to fullness with the birth of a son from whom comes King David, Israel's great king. And this morning we celebrate that great king's son, the son of David, and his coming, which is the eventual outworking of this whole story. As we remember, he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to be our king. Well, we're out of time, but again, our key biblical truth for the book of Ruth is this. God can use people who share his character to accomplish his good purposes. Our God is a God of hesed. Will you, will we, as God's people, become people of devoted love and hesed like the poor foreign widow Ruth? Or people of, of generous, big-hearted hesed, like wealthy, powerful, respected Boaz. Two very real and, and imperfect people who nonetheless both risked and sacrificed for the good of others who were in need. That's God's heart. And God will use people like that who show up in times of tragedy to accomplish his good purposes. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story which you caused to be remembered and written down and told by a wonderful storyteller as so many of your storytellers in scripture were who really know how to tell a story well and draw us into it and yet to bring across the points you want to bring across to us. And I pray that this story will get inside of our hearts and inside of our bones and we will become people like Ruth and Boaz, people who exhibit your self-sacrificing faithfulness to those around us as we have opportunities and that you will therefore accomplish your good purposes through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand for the final hymn, hymn 446? I will serve thee because I love thee. Just one verse.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he forgive you and give you peace. Amen.